0: Through the snow in a one horse
1: Days away. It is the Monday just preceding Christmas, which comes on Saturday. And so much has happened this year. <laughs> The previous year, it's been uh, it's been a lot. You guys have dealt with a lot, and it's time for everyone to just take a break, unwind a little bit, try to spend some time with your family. Don't get stressed out. Uh, I know that I'm dealing with a little bit of that myself, but uh, I asked for it. I've got a whole lot going on, but I wouldn't have it any other way, I don't think. So managing stress is something that everyone's going to have to deal with. However, it's almost Christmas, and it's time for us to just enjoy our families, enjoy our friends, and be thankful for everything that we have in our lives. And shortly after that is going to be New Year's 2021. 2022. Can you believe it? Well, here it comes. Whether you're on board or not, it's happening. Uh, I am excited about the new year because I met somebody on the advice of Jeremy... (laughs) At Copper Bottom Craft Distillery, he introduced me to Sherry Taylor from discoverymap.com. He tells me that he gets a lot of business, actually. Most of his advertising money that he spends, he sees the best return from Discovery Map. Sherry got in touch with me. I dragged my feet a little bit, but on the advice of Jeremy, I pulled the trigger. And you know me, I don't do business with anyone without being able to find a way to work with them, and it starts at the podcast. So I was able to interview Sherry Taylor, and here's that interview.
2: Hey, Steve.
1: Good morning, Sherry. How you doing?
2: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I can't complain yet, but it's still early. Give me time. <laughs> All right. So uh, just for the listeners, we're sitting here talking with Sherry Taylor with Discovery Map. Sherry, give me some background. I know Discovery Map has uh, different areas, and I think each of those areas is available for franchise. And your franchise is what area?
2: I own the territories of Daytona Beach and New Smyrna Beach. But basically, that includes the entire coast of Volusia County. Our maps in Daytona cover from Ormond-by-the-Sea all the way to Ponce Inlet, and then in towards 95. And in New Smyrna, we cover to the Port Orange line and down to Oak Hill. So it's quite a large area. On any given day, my map mobile and I can be in Ormond or Edgewater or inland towards Deltona even.
1: (laughs) Did you say map mobile?
2: Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I (laughs) That's what I call my um, my delivery van. She's a tank. um, And she's my map mobile and, and people see me anywhere, everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. And when you're carrying around boxes of maps or handful of maps, you can be sure that people flag me down and say, Oh, hey, you know, where where should I go and eat? What is there to do around here? Do you know if there's any festivals going on this weekend? So I get to talk with a lot of locals and also with um, with a lot of tourists too. That's a good
1: problem to have. Uh oh, someone's not feeling well?
2: <laughs> That's my husband sneezing in the background.
1: Okay. I just wanna make sure so we can we can write his name down in the in the show notes and everyone knows he wasn't feeling well today.
2: <laughs> he so- made a cameo. Well actually he is my partner in crime. So my husband and I we own the maps together and he deals with the software on the back end. So he built this amazing system where I can track distribution and um, everything that has to do with the business. He's pretty amazing on tech.
1: So you're running around in the real world and he's in the virtual world.
2: Yes. Okay. Yes. We've got a foot in both.
1: There's probably days where each of you envy the other.
2: <laughs> you know what? He does need to get out more. I agree with you there.
1: What's his name, Sherry?
2: His name is Todd.
1: Yeah. All right. So what what is the whole concept of discovery map? Uh, I'm guessing a lot of people who might be hearing us talking don't know what it is or or what the hell I'm talking about.
2: Well, it's it's really its own little its own little bubble. You have different street maps and things that, you know, help you navigate around new places, but discovery maps are really cool and that they map out commerce you know local businesses which is what drew my husband and I to the area in the first place you know you have great local restaurants you have great local outfitters fishing guides and and local paddleboard companies that make and shape their own boards and it's just an incredible community of entrepreneurs and our little map maps that out for you so i kind of feel like we're we're your local guide of everything that you could see and do in the area and great places to stay too little boutique hotels
1: now i can tell you that after starting my business uh, i knew that i needed to advertise because you know nobody knows who i am Uh, i was one place a place who i love these people um jenny and jeremy over at cover bottom
2: yeah. And
1: we sat down because they had, they had reached out to me and said, we would like to be on your tour. And I was like, well, you're not a brewery, but, um, you know, let's see how it goes. And thank God, they're, people love them.
2: <laughs> but <laughs> Distilleries are a lot of fun. A lot of people, um, that's one of the first places that they head when they pick up our map. They're just such a cool place to visit and uh, to do tours and tastings.
1: That's, yeah, they're great. And, um, it's... Well, I had sat down with them when we were first talking it out and say, well, how do, how is this going to work? What do you do here? What are they going to what are my customers, my passengers going to see when they come by? And um then we started talking about advertising and I said, well, you guys have been at this a while. What works for you? And he said there were there were two things that work for them. One is working directly with the hotels and the other one he pointed over at the wall right by his door. He said that one right there, discovery map. He says that's the only advertising that I put any money into because it's the only thing that yields results and it yields good results. So from then on, I, I had my eye on you and we kind of started talking back and forth to each other. And I wanted to pull the trigger immediately. I was just broke. I wasn't making money yet. (laughs) And I, I finally, I just said, you know what? Um, I'm not going to make money unless I start spending a little bit of money.
2: Right.
1: So I did. And, um, started off with a small package for 2022 and hopefully for 2023 i'm going to get the whole map
2: yeah. And I'm really excited about what we're doing for you Um and and that we're going to have your dive bar tour route on the map. And I think that that will, it will really create a lot of interest. You know, when my husband and I, and we have two daughters, when we go traveling places, we always pick up these maps. We did even before we purchased the business about three or four years ago. And it it's just, these are the kinds of things that we would be interested in interested in doing, you know, like getting a babysitter for the night and going on a dive bar tour, like, heck, yeah, like, these are the fun things. So we're really excited to have you on board for 2022.
1: Thank you. I can't wait. So you guys, um, you do a virtual map, or you do an online version. That's what Todd That's how Todd was messing around and caught a computer virus. That's why he's sick today. But. (laughs) but he creates the online version of this map. You also print these maps and those are the things that you are toting around in the real world. What a what a division of labor by the way. He's sitting on his butt and you're toting boxes around. <laughs> well, um,
2: so and and just So Todd created the system that allows me to track everything that I do. So like you said earlier, I'm a franchisee and I own territories. Um, The entity that actually runs our website, because we are an international map, company is um discovery map international so they actually do the web map and i work closely with them um, on the web map and different content that we put on the website my husband he's my he's my home team he's my home team tech guy and um all the apps that i use on my mobile device to track distribution and map interactions and you know make my notes every day that's the system that that he Right.
1: Sometimes um. I'm astounded at at just how not smart I am. Uh, that makes sense <laughs> because it's a franchise. It's all over the country. You want one back end team doing the map all over. I'm guessing when you bring someone on, you send them the plot points and the things like that and the the art conceptual stuff, and then they take it from there and incorporate it into your little corner of the world. And Thank then. Dear.
2: And what's great about the maps in, and especially Discovery map is that I'm, I'm the captain of my own ship for the most part. Yes, I work with corporate and um, creating and printing the maps, but we um, we come up with our art concepts. I handle all of our content on social media and I write. Um, For a local publication, too, and they publish our content. We do a couple content contributions for the East Coast Current. And so we're just everywhere on top of the distribution we do. Um, It's just it's a fun business.
1: You mentioned East Coast Current, but just prior to that, you said you write for a local, I guess, media outlet. Is that East Coast Current, or was there something else?
2: No, that that is them. So they're a local monthly magazine, and um, all female-owned and organized, and I work closely with them, and I do little content contributions each month, little articles of interest. Uh, We just did one on hidden art murals in Volusia County. So I went from the north end of Volusia to the south end, and gave our top five favorite art murals. You know, it's just fun little pieces that like funny. that. Yeah, and it it's good for the maps, and it's good for the community, and it's great for tourism, too.
1: <clears throat> Pardon me, I think I caught something from Todd.
2: I think so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so, so now that we know what you do, we know what the publication is. You provide that free at all of the locations where visitors to our area might, might spot that and be looking for things to do. So I'm guessing we're talking hotels – most of the places that are on uh, the map, I'm assuming. Um,
2: right. So just just to give you a scope, and this is one of the reasons why the map is such a great vehicle for advertising, because it, it's like tiny billboards that people carry with them. And it's, it's a resource. So they return to it again and again. So I print, just to give you an idea, over 460,000 maps. Wow. And that is for all of Belusia County. That's my New Smyrna Beach territory and my Daytona Beach territory. All of those maps, Steve, go through my two little hands. So just boxes <laughs> and boxes of maps. I have a warehouse. They're stacked um, two pallets high on each side. And we just we go through that supply all year long. And the biggest consumer of those maps are the hotels. So Anywhere you go, along ISB or South Atlantic Avenue, those big hotels, they use our maps. And that's amazing. And then you'll find our maps at restaurants and boutiques and shops, all the walkable streets. streets We like to keep a nice presence there. Um, and, and shop owners and things love it, too. Because, again, what do tourists want when they come to town? They want a local's insight. They'll ask a shop owner, like, hey, where's the best place to do this? Or where's the best um, sushi? Or or where's this? And chances are, the buildings are drawn on our map. And um, actually, it's not by chance. I pick those places out. And you know, they use our maps to guide the way.
1: That's great. What? Why? There are so many avenues for a business to advertise. I know this for a fact, because they all call me. As soon as I was a legitimate business. My phone was ringing nonstop. Hey, do you need to buy this? Do you, do you need this? Uh, everything in the world I could possibly want and everything else that never, Maybe, ever do I Jimmy. want. <laughs> but they're they're calling me. They Do you need cameras? Do you need, you know, whatever. Why spend money, aside from what I've already said and what, what Jeremy and Jenny told me, why is your avenue, why is your advertising channel a notch, uh, a step above other options, the million other options in well, your mind.
2: And you're right. There are a million other options. There are different publications. Um, but I feel like what we bring to the table is a very targeted audience. Look, we're, we're a beach town. Um, we're a tourism destination. We've got great restaurants and places to shop and places to stay. And it can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, but, one of the things that never goes out of style when someone's trying to figure out a new area is a map. And um, people ask me all the time, they say, you know, like, oh, maps. You know, that's kind of, is it, everyone's on their phone. Yeah, everyone's on their phone, but Google's a map. Yeah. And, And everyone's on vacation, and they're trying to detach from technology. And we're in hand, and we're online, and I really feel like... Any advertising that's worth its salt out there is well-rounded, and that is what we are. You know, we've got a foot in the digital world, like like my husband and my relationship and business relationship. We've got a foot in each world, and we're really well balanced that way. And when someone gets on the map, it's for an entire year. It's not just, oh, try it out during the busy mm-hmm. months or oh,, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a quarterly publication. We're all year and we're really super affordable. And if you're not on the map, you're missing targeting those tourists and the people who come into town on a whim, you know, like a last minute event that comes up or those cheerleading events. You know, that's that's who we cater to.
1: Can someone get on your map? Is, is it quarterly? So you, you print new maps quarterly, but can no, someone...
2: annually. So okay, so you're you're on by service. the beginning
1: of the year, you're mm-hmm. you're locked in. Okay,
2: and I always I always tell clients, and I always tell even people who aren't clients, you know, reach out to us. We're a local business. We're just like you. You know, if there's an event that's um, worth promoting, and there are a ton of small businesses involved. I want to be involved, too, because originally that's what drew us to this community and, and even this business, just promoting all of those great small businesses that we love. So um, that's another advantage of, of working with us. Um, any client can just call me and say, you know, hey, we're doing this. Um, for example, during the pandemic, there was a client that was trying to get a food drive going and it, w- it was going OK. Um, But they didn't have a ton of donations, and they were looking for donations. So, you know, we traded in our map routes during that time, and we did a food drive. And we gathered so much food. It was so much food that they um, couldn't even distribute it. They didn't even have enough people to give it away to. So then we worked with the food bank in Ormond, and we donated some of our contributions to them. Wow. Um, Yeah, so it's just we're just down to be out and involved with the community as much as do business within the community. Cause this is our home.
1: I love, and I'm new. I've never owned a business. I've, I've always worked for corporations and done sales. And now that I'm running my own business, I'm doing the podcast. I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff. I'm branching out into a lot of ways. It, it's amazing just how much, if you are creative and you have the energy, you have the opportunity to do so much good for others, just in the, you know, cause you could say, okay, well, I'm just going to build my business only. I'm just worried about my little world and just focus on yourself. Or you can go, how can I help others? I think that's so creative of you to leverage your map to do something like that. I, I think that's great. I'm just finding out what abilities I have in order to expand my my reach uh, and and what I can do and and actually where in the community I'm needed. But I think that's amazing.
2: Um, Aw, thank you. Blue
1: Drive is fantastic.
2: Yeah, and and. We do it in ways that make sense. Right. So I'm I'm always driving around. I'm always delivering maps. It makes sense that I could do sure. um, a mobile food drive where I come to you and I pick up food and I take it where it needs to go. And, and just like you with um, with the tours and things, you know, I'm sure that there are a dozen different um, organizations where you could take them on a tour or, you know, help um, help people explore the area who aren't mobile or, you know, veterans or, or something like that. It's just we all have this amazing opportunity to just... Plug into the network, not just in our business lives, but make it more community oriented and service oriented, which is something that I've been really proud to get my family involved with, especially my preteen girls is service, community service, things that you can do.
1: Sherry, I've just been sitting here thinking while listening to you, next time you have the opportunity to take part in something like that, please let me know because I want to be a part of that as well. I really oh, do. Oh
2: yes, absolutely. Yes. And that's one of the great things with working with all of these different small businesses. You hear about these opportunities and you can lean in and it's it's pretty neat. It's a pretty it's a pretty neat experience.
1: I mean, it's just I, almost no effort from me. And I can't I can't believe that I hadn't thought of of trying to get involved in something because I like you we are uniquely positioned we are going about the community there's so many times in my house that we've heard about a food drive so we bagged up food and we had food by the door and my wife will tell me it's just like when we go to the Salvation Army she said those take those things those boxes need to go to the Salvation Army and they'll just sit I'll just walk past them so many times yeah but if somebody came and said hey we're here with the food drive do you have those bags of food absolutely absolutely what a great idea
2: and Steve, we don't have to wait for an event. We could create an event right. between you and I, and we could, you know, do a food drive and work with a local food bank. And they're always in need, especially around the holidays.
1: I love it. As soon as you have the bandwidth to dedicate to something like that, let me know. <laughs> I, I, I Seriously. You, yeah. I love it.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about this. So we're going to do it. I'm going to write down some notes and we'll get in touch on this.
1: Perfect. Perfect. And then I want to start reaching out. And for the holidays, what a great time. If if uh, if we hustle, we can really do some good.
2: Yeah.
1: So, Sherry, I'm sold. I'm already you, – you know I'm sold. I, I already gave you money. I'm sold. I love what you do here. How And hopefully, there's going to be at least – I have at least three listeners, and we're going to sell all of them. So, how can they give you money if somebody hears this and they're like, what a great idea. I need to advertise – On Discovery Map, how do they find you? How do they call you? What's your address so they can knock on your door at 3 in the morning?
2: Right. You know, my cell phone number is published on all of the maps. Okay. For better or worse, I get calls... All the time, sometimes at 2 a.m., 1 a.m. And oftentimes I forget to turn off my cell phone. And that sneezing man in the background, um, <laughs> I wake him up at night and he's like, oh, why didn't I told you to turn that off? Let's silence it for sleep. Um, but so, yeah, my cell phone number is on all the maps. 386-847-4493. And um, my email address, too. So that would be Sherry, S H E W R Y. And then T for Taylor at discoverymap.com I'm very easy to get a hold of.
1: And if they if uh, people go to discoverymap.com and click on the Daytona area, will it direct them to or the contact information? Will that be yours as well?
2: It sure is. Okay, great. I received those emails too.
1: Fantastic. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us, uh, Sherry, before I let you go and move on with your life? This is probably your busiest time of the year.
2: (laughs) It is. is. We actually, so we wrap up the new maps for the coming year um, in, in three months, generally the last three months of the year. So we're moving through production and off to the presses. And so the new maps will be here in January. It is pretty busy. But, um, you know, just take the time and explore and rediscover your hometown and your beach towns and the areas surrounding you, because what I've learned about Daytona Beach and New Smyrna Beach and and Ormond Beach, there's always something interesting and there's always something new. And, um, you know, just... Invest in those local places around you because, um, you know, they're pretty special. People visit here from all over the world. (laughs) And sometimes we take it for granted. So just get out there and explore. Heck, come to the beach and explore. Give me a call. I'll tell you where to go.
1: Fantastic. Sherry, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much, Steve. I'm happy to be on your podcast.
1: I am going to be in touch a whole bunch. So um, I really want to get this going. So just let me know what I can do as part of it. And I'm going to come up with some things and say, what do you think about you doing this, Sherry? And we'll go from there.
2: <laughs> I'm excited and I'm always game. I'm ready, Steve. Bring it on.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Have a Thanks. good day and Merry Christmas.
2: Yeah, Happy holidays. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Well, that's Sherry Taylor. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I know that it might seem weird that I interview people or outlets to advertise, but when you are in business, advertising is a big part of what you do. It's been a big part of what I do to get my name out there. Another piece of getting my name out there was when I appeared in the Daytona News Journal. It was free advertising and actually got a whole lot of notoriety from it. Somebody down at the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and Museum reached out to me by the name of Zach Hopple, and Zach was interested to see if I was going to be bringing some tours his way. I absolutely had been planning one for about four months, something I call the tour of tours, where I load people up and bring them on a five or six hour tour of everywhere else that offers tours. So when you come to Daytona and you want to get the entire Daytona experience and you just, you're only going to be there for four days, you're wondering, can I do it? Well, yeah, you can. I'm going to pick you up. I'll take you to the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and Museum. I'll take you to the International Speedway, and you can do the tour there. I'll bring you to Angel and Phelps Chocolate Factory. You can do the Chocolate Factory tour there. Everywhere that has a tour, within reason, I'm going to bring you to. And they're going to take you on their guided tour, then you load back up, and I move you on a whirlwind tour to the next tour. So the Tour of Tours by Fun Coast Tours. That's the plan. So I'm in the works of that. I'm sure Zach understands that putting a tour together, dealing with all of the factors involved is the hardest part, not the actual day-to-day, but the work up front. So I am working on that right now. And in the meantime, before I have one ready, I do have an interview with Zach Hopple and John, a docent over there. John had a wealth of information. And Zach... Despite having only been there a short time, I had sent someone on the tour, and they said, what a wealth of information Zach was able to provide. So very impressive. Uh, these guys are, are just full of information. And, and the amount of history that's involved in the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse, you might be surprised to know. Um, well, I'm not going to tell it. I'm going to let them tell it. By the end of this, you're going to understand. So here we go. Here's Zach and John at the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and Museum.
0: Good afternoon. This is Zach Hoppel.
1: Hey Zach. This is hey. Steve. I had tried to call extension ten and I just got voicemail.
0: Oh yeah, no problem. She might have stepped away, so you got me. So you're good to go. I got John sitting in my office here with oh, me. You fantastic. Hey Steve.
1: I got gotcha. you. All right. All right. So I am here with Zach and John at the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and Museum. Is that correct? Or you tell yeah, me Yeah it is. All right. Tell us about yourselves. Zach, what are you what's your capacity there and John, what's yours?
0: Uh, sure. So, like you said, my name is Zach Hoppel. I'm the programs manager here at Ponce Inlet Lighthouse and Museum. Uh, my main job is uh, handling all the volunteers and the events and all the educational programs. And uh, I'm the
3: lead, I'm John Mann. I'm the lead docent at the uh, Ponce Inlet Lighthouse. And for those of you who took a little bit of, of uh, Latin, docent is a word for a person who leads tours at a museum site, uh, and it comes from the Latin to teach, actually, a docent is a teacher.
1: All right, so I am going to defer and direct my questions to you, John, who is the teacher who you typically... I'm going to probably ask you to do a little bit of teaching and tour guiding for people people who hadn't had the opportunity to get to Ponce Inlet Lighthouse or people who were considering it and needed to be pushed off the fence and in the direction of pulling the trigger and making that choice. What kind of background and history can you tell us about the Ponce Inlet Lighthouse that you're willing to take out of your back pocket while still leaving something in there for when they do take the tour?
3: Well, we are one of a series of 1,400 lighthouses that were built in the United States. And, of course, when Florida became a territory... Uh, actually, we were uh, very desirable as a territory to uh, defend, you know, from the south, defend our south from the invasion, but more so, uh, we were desirable to build... Aids to navigation along our coast because a lot of commerce was coming along uh, from New Orleans uh, through the the Gulf and then, of course, up the East Coast to the United States. So we were one of the last uh, of the uh, lighthouses to be built for that reason, and we're what we call a brick giant. We're actually the last true brick giant to be built. We were built uh, between 1884 and 1887, And we were first lit in 1887 and we are still active. We're a private aid to navigation. So, uh, that's pretty cool for people to, uh, uh, you know, to visit a lighthouse now. Part two is that we are the, uh, well, probably the largest light station that is complete in the United States. Light station means that it's a um, it's a considerable effort, uh, not just one tower and, let's say, one ancillary building, but we actually have everything that was here in 1887, with the exception of a windmill, is still here and is open and in inspection. It's now, of course, a museum. So uh, we are indeed an attraction because it's kind of fun. We say, you know, come for the climb, but stay for the history. We're an attraction, but we also tell a heck of a good story about the lighthouse experience, people living here, and what our purpose was back then.
1: Thank you for that. I think people are fascinated by lighthouses. There's just something so romantic about them.
3: That's very true. I was in uh, England once at a lighthouse. My wife and I have visited approximately 2,000. Photography is part of my uh, thing, too, in addition to the history. And at an English lighthouse, uh, the, the docent there said, you know, lighthouses are America's castles. And that's yeah. very, very true. Governmental experience uh, as far as navigation Oh, the romance of the old lighthouse keeper climbing the steps and lighting the light every night, uh, you know, that determination and dedication.
1: Now, some lighthouses across the U.S. are rented out as, say, Airbnbs or things of that nature, but um, with this particular lighthouse in Ponce Inlet, no one actually lived in the lighthouse, did they? They had houses surrounding it?
3: No, uh, they they did not live in the tower. Uh, they lived in three keepers' residences uh, that were built, special built for the uh, three keepers who were assigned here at that time.
1: Now, did they not live in the house because of its classification as a brick giant, or maybe if you told me about oh, no, the, the other... No, the
3: tower was just, uh, just a... Uh, an aid to navigation. There are some smaller towers in the United States that are attached to the keepers' houses, but uh, pretty much because of the need for three keepers here, three individual residences were built. They are now uh, uh, primarily our museums.
1: John, you had mentioned uh, it was built between 1884 and went into service in 1887,
3: correct? That's correct. Okay. Okay. No, primarily uh, you're looking at a, a vast uh, piece of land that uh, could actually serve uh, every 40, theoretically every 45 miles or so along the coast. It was the intention of the Lighthouse Service to build a an aid to navigation or a lighthouse. And we fit into that picture beautifully because In the 1870s, St. Augustine is built. In the 1860s, uh, early 1870s, Cape Canaveral is built. But there's a 100-mile stretch of unmarked coast uh, that was, uh, and there was an an aid to navigation needed uh, between, primarily between. And so the perfect place was Ponce Inlet. Uh, not because Ponce Inlet was uh, a place where they determined there uh, there was going to be a lot of commerce in and out. No, it was a perfect place because you could get building supplies down the ocean and into the inlet, so let's build there.
1: You had mentioned Brick Giant. What are the classifications of lighthouses are there?
3: Uh, Well, uh, 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 the brick giant uh, concept began in New Jersey in an effort to, uh, in an effort actually to light and to build aids to navigation because of the distance of the shipping lanes. Uh, So from New Jersey on down the coast, the east coast of the United States is flat, very flat. And uh, primarily, uh, for most of that coast, your aids to to navigation have to be tall because your shipping lanes are pretty far out from that flat coast, simply because those flat coasts uh, lead to very dangerous waters to about seven, eight miles out for large ships.
1: Okay, that makes a lot of sense.
3: There are, of course, uh, many, many different types of lighthouses. Brick giants are only one type. There are, of course, uh, screw pile lighthouses. Uh, there are cottage style lighthouses. Uh, we could go on and on and on. <laughs> uh, they were very clever, uh, Army Corps of Engineers, in designing the right kind of right, right kind of navigation uh, aid. Uh, for the right kind of place we actually in the united states we had 150 light ships at one time wow. places where you couldn't build a lighthouse but you had to mark for the, uh, commerce and also dangerous spots yeah florida had five lighthouse uh, light ships uh at various times in the uh the 19th century
1: that's very interesting how many lighthouses are in florida and how many of those are functioning the
3: flip uh and will arm wrestle the number, uh, <laughs> be anywhere between 30 and 35-ish or so. Uh, Florida, as a tourist uh, destination, a lot of Florida's lighthouses, especially along the east coast of Florida, are um, attractions are open for touring by uh, folks for climbing and so on. Uh, not so much on the uh, on the West Coast, although there are some spectacularly beautiful lighthouses on the West Coast of Florida.
1: I have a special uh, connection with this lighthouse because we, uh, my wife and I, snuck onto the beach and used the lighthouse as a backdrop to our wedding.
3: Ah, oh, cool! We do weddings here also. I'm yeah, a, but you uh... charge
1: for it. The beach was free as long as we snuck in and out before the lifeguards caught us.
3: Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs>
1: Don't tell anyone. Yeah,
3: we do weddings here. Uh, we, we don't advertise it, you know, just simply because uh, we're open 363 days a year. Yeah. But uh, we do do weddings here, and uh, we certainly encourage them.
1: So I know a lot, some of the history in Ponce Inlet had to do with, uh, I'm going to probably butcher this name, the Timucuan Indians? N- no, uh, give me that question again. I'm sorry. The Tim. Tamuakan, Indian? Indians, Tamuka, Tim- the Tamuka?
3: yes, the Timucan Indians,
1: Timucan, Okay, so that's where we get the name Tamuca. I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Um, how long had they resided in Ponce Inlet? I'm guessing Ponce Inlet specifically, right?
3: Uh, well, Ponce Inlet was a very attractive place. Uh, they were they were um, not uh, uh, people who settled and farmed very early on. Uh, I'm going to ask Zach to address that. Zach's a former history teacher who taught a
0: good deal about uh, Florida or uh, the early Floridians. Yeah, the, <clears throat> you know through the research and things, we've uh, our registrar Felipe de has done an excellent job of researching and collecting all of that data and things. So I don't want to mess up his uh, numbers. I don't have those sitting in front oh, yeah, of me. Oh yeah, right. But um, yeah, it was. For quite a long time, but we actually have done archaeological excavation here on our site, and um, there's been no traces of Native population on our physical site itself.
1: Okay, so we weren't in contention for the land with the Indians? No, not
0: with the Native
3: population. Oh, no, no, no. no, Okay.
1: No. So how many steps to get to the top of this? I, I had the good fortune... I went there with my daughters and they wanted to climb it. And I was looking at it going, oh my lord, that's a lot of steps. And we started climbing.
3: (laughs) We have a a, to get to the gallery uh, at the top, it's 203 steps from the very base of the tower. And then there are 10 more steps if you were a keeper to get into the lantern room. So it's two hundred and three. But remember that when this lighthouse is built, the government is very aware of Lighthouse Service is very, very much aware of uh, the potential for people visiting the lighthouse. So actually every twenty two steps there's a resting platform. <laughs> So you can you can stop and, you know, and stretch your legs a little bit. And uh, it isn't that uh, you're going to be uh, holding up the, uh, you know, the uh, the climb of other people. So and also it's say, you know, oh, well, here come some other people. So let's stop now and <laughs> and uh, let them go by.
1: And they're going to play through. Oh,
3: uh, yeah, Exactly. <laughs>
1: So I I didn't make it up to the top on my excursion. Uh, we made it about one third of the way up, and then there was a lightning warning, uh, or there was some thunder in the area, and and they said, "All right, everyone has to go." And I said, "Darn it, kids!" Oh, <laughs> shame on you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm an opportunist. Yeah,
3: so. the keepers climbed on an average of three times a day. We tell those folks uh, who are uh, reluctant, and then. Uh, we tease some folks who uh, look very very active and tell them that and say okay so you've got two more to go now uh, are are you ready to do it and most people decline the challenge but I'll tell you something it is very worth it it is a, a an incredibly spectacular view and on clear mornings in may you can see the assembly building at Kennedy Space Center. Oh, wow. Without binoculars. That's uh, not all the time, but you can actually make out. Now, of course, the assembly building is 55 stories tall itself, but yes, you can. So it is spectacular seeing uh, to the west, to the north, out on, uh, on the ocean uh, and to the south.
1: Do people time their visits there with potential, I don't know, SpaceX launches? I don't know if they use that
3: Uh, Yes, people have. Yes, uh, uh, people do. Yep, and when we're open, we're certainly accommodating to them. During the hours, of course, we're open.
1: How long have you been doing this job? I've been doing this.
3: Uh, I retired as as an educator in 2000, worked for another couple of years consulting. So I guess I've been doing this since uh, 2004 or so as a uh, docent here.
1: What is the best piece of history in your repertoire relating to lighthouse history, that particular lighthouse, not, not lighthouse history in general? Our, our, our particular lighthouse? Yes, sir. Wow. Or or Um, one of your favorites. I I want you to keep your good ones because we need people to go visit you. But I want you to give us a good one that's going to whet everyone's appetite and and make them go, okay, this is definitely historic. We've got to check it
3: out. uh, This is not the first lighthouse to be built at this inlet. Uh, back in the 1830s, there were some folks here in the area who were desirous of a lighthouse, not as, an, as, not as a string uh, of one of many lighthouses along the, the coast, but uh, they were desirous of putting a lighthouse to mark the inlet. The inlet is, uh, is kind of dangerous. And um, not easily seen, and remember, until 1921, all navigation is visual. Anyway, the 1835 lighthouse uh, is built. Uh, It's just about ready to go. The oil has not been delivered, and all of a sudden we have a very disturbing uh, factor for the hundred or so people living in this area. uh, It's the beginning of the Second Seminole War. Uh, and one of my favorite stories is about the uh, keeper who uh, is smart enough uh, once he realizes that this is not just a, a, a raid on his house. He, he, get, he skedaddles out of here. Uh, but before he does, you know, the Seminoles do actually raid that tower. Uh, they burn the front wooden door. Uh, they attempt to burn the steps going up. They break all the glass in the tower itself, and um, they do quite a little bit of damage. Everybody skedaddles out of the area. Later on, the keeper decides that he's going to have his little revenge on them. He joins a, a group of uh, other residents, and they call themselves the Mosquito Roarers. And they arm themselves and they're going to uh, defend their property and so on. Well, it uh, doesn't always work out the way that you want to. And um, he and a group of his uh, uh, buddies are skedaddling off getting back into their boats uh, because the Seminoles outfight them and outnumber them sincerely, uh, 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 seriously, I should say. And the keeper in, dis- in distress uh, says, well, they're not going to get away with this without me making them feel pretty foolish. What he does is he does the universal, even back in the 1840s, he drops his trousers and exposes his <laughs> rear end to the, uh, uh, to the Seminoles. And for that effort, he promptly gets himself a shot in the butt. <clears throat> <That's good> <laughs> uh, he later on becomes, I believe, the sheriff of Lucia County. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, he has quite a political career here, but, uh, that was a mistake that he probably won't forget or, well, he'll be reminded every time he sits down. That's right.
1: (laughs) If you didn't say it, I was going to say it. (laughs)
3: <laughs> i should hope
1: so now they called themselves the mosquito roars i'm going to go out on a limb and guess that's because Ponce inlet wasn't always Ponce inlet but they probably noticed a marked increase in tourism when they changed the name from mosquito inlet to Ponce Inlet. that's
3: why they changed the name from mosquito inlet uh yes Actually, 1927, uh, uh, in in an attempt, of course, to encourage uh, folks, uh, you know, to come back uh, down here to Florida and uh, purchase some land. So that was uh, that was the uh, the definite. But yes, you're absolutely right. This was the Mosquito Inlet Lighthouse. Another fact, you know, the Mosquito County um, it was one of the largest counties in Florida, Seminole County part of Orange County, present Volusia County, most of Flagler County, a little bit of Broward County. All of those counties were Mosquito County until, I believe, the 1840s.
1: Not the best name.
3: (laughs) 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 No, hardly.
1: Also, the light from your lighthouse, I believe, is the light that the survivors of the Commodore used yes. to try to make it to shore
3: that's correct Commodore was a gunrunner uh, it was a filibusterer it left Jacksonville uh, and was attempting to run about uh, uh, five hundred thousand rounds of ammunition and uh, crates of Remington rifles and so on to uh, this is pre uh, the Spanish-American War
1: 1902
3: and right? uh, Stephen Crane was a, an American journalist and an American novelist um, but his uh, his primary uh, day job was as a reporter. This is the most interesting thing. Remember, the West is one. and for uh, for a lot of years, this was very fascinating for Americans to read about. So Crane uh, uh, talks himself onto one of those filibustering boats. He supposedly signs on as an able bodied ship uh, shipman, but everybody knew Stephen Crane, uh, and of course the captain. Thinking that this was positive uh, publicity uh, uh, welcomed him aboard. Uh, There was always talk of sabotage. Didn't happen. Uh, The Commodore was poorly piloted out of St. John's River, and uh, she ran aground twice, tore the heck out of her bottom, uh, made it all the way out here, uh, down here. Uh, She was 14 miles out when she began to sink. Captain uh, Murphy uh, uh, turned her to the Uh, to the west, and uh, she finally was inoperable. Uh, Engines were flooded about 11 miles out. Uh, The 27 and the crew uh, got into lifeboats, and the last lifeboat was uh, the captain, Murphy, Stephen Crane, and uh, two others, and they began to row uh, to the lighthouse during the day. Uh, they They drifted north. Enough, um, all, all three of the four were dead within uh, two years of that. Uh, the last man, uh, the person most ill equipped, uh, overweight, and so on, he's a guy who survives into the 1930s. But uh, uh, Crane, yeah, Crane is, um, uh, they beach themselves. Crane spends the night at Lillian Place in the morning, takes a train up to uh, Jacksonville, the Newspapers around the the country uh, reported his death or his the fact that he was missing. Uh, a couple days later he writes the story and then about two months later he writes that magnificent short story called the open
1: Boat. I tell this story on my tours, uh, but I wasn't aware of all the details. so they actually they were the the ship became inoperable 11 miles off the coast. Ponce Inlet, but they drifted north and they came aground in Daytona Beach. Is that correct? And
3: uh, uh, Murphy, uh, okay. Um, well, the, yeah. the boat,
1: the boat. Crane, yeah. Again.
3: Crane and uh, Murphy and uh, Billy the oiler. They are they uh, come uh, on shore about eight miles north uh the other three boats, well, uh, the two of the other three boats that uh the light boats that were launched uh actually do come into the lighthouse area itself uh they're the, the those are the uh, folks who were the Cuban rebels who were on the uh, commodore but uh murphy remember they're in a 10 foot dinghy too yeah. this is not a 24 foot Lifeboat. This is a 10 foot captain's dinghy with gunnels that are about 18 inches above the water. Uh, so, uh, as I'm as I'm telling you the story, uh, two of them are rowing. Murphy has injured himself uh, by oh, his arm and his uh, uh, his arm is broken. His shoulders uh, uh, is is very bad. So Murphy can't do anything. The captain can't do anything. So Crane and the oiler row. Uh, they're rowing a. Uh, uh, not with the tide. And uh, so they end up about eight miles north of the lighthouse. Uh, The other uh, the other two uh, rowboats or lifeboats, uh, if you will, uh, do make it to
1: the lighthouse. So somewhere between the Dunlaten Street Bridge and the uh, Memorial Bridge. Yes. Okay. That's fascinating. I wasn't aware that, uh, you know, and I just didn't put it together in my head that he was hired by the Spanish government, uh, and it was the Spanish-American War.
3: (laughs) We actually, uh, I actually do a first-person interpretation of Murphy. I'm a little bit too old to do Stephen Crane by about (laughs) six years or so, or 50 years or so. But I do a first-person interpretation of Murphy uh, for you know, groups here at the lighthouse or uh, outreach telling the story of the uh, uh, telling the story of the open boat. I've done a lot of research on it. As a matter of fact, we actually had a Stephen Crane day here, and we were we were very very uh, well received. So much so uh, that I was able to invite the uh, present. Chairman of the Department of uh, English at uh, uh, Virginia Tech, who actually is a serious Crane scholar and just wrote uh, the most recent biography of Stephen Crane. Crane's influence on American letters, on American literature, is. Unbelievable, and would be more acknowledged if he had lived longer. Yeah. He only produced uh, one major work, and that, of course, was the uh, uh, the Red Badge of Courage. Uh, but um, he had it in him to produce a lot more. Ernest Hemingway was once asked that that question that all writers are okay if you're, you know, uh, uh, you're on an, a, a desert island and you can have three. Companions, uh, you know, writers. Let's say, who would uh, your three be? And Hemingway actually said, that simple. Stephen Crane, Stephen Crane, and Stephen Crane." Wow! Hi, oh praise. yes, oh yeah. The uh, the Crane influence on American letters is 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 in, incredible. He cha- he he taught Hemingway how to write, not personally, but uh, his influence uh, uh, very much. And of course, Hemingway was a journalist also. Started as a
1: journalist. This is fascinating, John. I've learned so nothing from Zach at all. Just all from you. Well,
3: uh, 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 we, we keep the kid around, uh, you know, so he can answer the phone and so on. Sure.
1: But Someone's got to keep the coffee going. Back
0: a little bit, for goodness' sake. <laughs> well, John is John is fantastic. He's a wealth of knowledge that we couldn't uh, do anything around here without. So. Uh, yeah, they could raise my pay a little bit
3: right?
0: <laughs> you know, they keep me on volunteer status
3: here, but I don't know no i'm I'm teasing, obviously. I love it here.
1: When I started doing what I do here, I knew that there was more history than people come to this area for when people come to this area, oh my goodness, they have yes. no idea what they're in what they're in for, so they don't look for it. They just don't look for it. and I take it as part of my job and obviously, uh, John and Zach, the both of you, take it to the next level. Th- this is fascinating stuff, and you just add so much, so many layers, and so much depth to what's in our own backyard. and And I stand in awe of of what you're what you're doing there on a daily basis, and and just what's around us. Thank you both very much for taking the time to speak. Our to me pleasure. And I hope to share this pleasure. out to as many as can possibly hear it. And when they do hear it, and they find that they want to dive deeper into this. How can they find you and purchase tickets?
0: Well, we are open, as John said earlier, uh, 363 days a year. The only days that we're closed are Thanksgiving Day and Christmas Day. Other than that, we are open. Our standard hours for the winter is 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And during the summer, we are open until 9 p.m. So we are open all day. It is uh, $6.95 for adults and one ninety-five under the age of 12. So I encourage everyone that hears us, come down, check us out, stay for the museum. Takes about an hour and a half to take a nice tour, and you also get the climb and the beautiful view as well.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Zach, and thank you, John. I I appreciate you once again. Pleasure. You have a great day, and I'm going to come down and see you guys. All right. Terrific. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that's Zach and John. I hope you guys were as impressed with that as I was. They shared a whole lot of information. I wasn't aware of, like Tomoka. I was pronouncing the name of the Tomoka Indian tribe so strangely. It's spelled weird. It's spelled weird, so I I didn't make the connection in my head. Well, guys, it's about time that I let you go. It is just about Christmas time, so please take time out. Please take time off. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy some great food. And uh, just relax. Unwind. Don't worry about how much you have to buy everybody. Because you don't. It's not about that. That commercialism got in the way. Remember the true reason for the season and everything's going to be just fine. Uh, shortly after that, Christmas will be over. We've got another week. Then it's New Year's. I'm excited. Come New Year's, I'm going to be in Discovery Map. You're going to be able to find me online and in print everywhere you go in Daytona for the whole year. Keep in mind, as you listen to this, you won't hear me until the New Year. I am putting together those tours. The Tour of Tours, if you run a facility that offers a tour and would like to be on it, please reach out. If you know anyone who is well-versed in the crime of the area, crime beat reporter, retired detectives. I would love to talk to them for my True Crime tour. As always, you can reach me at three eight six three one two seven four three three at Funny Ghost Tours. You've been listening to Down in My name is Steve. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.